At the time of this Bible in the news, it's bonfire night here in the UK. A time to watch firework displays, play with sparklers, and of course, huddle around a bonfire. The night air is thick with smoke and the sound of loud explosions. Flashes light up the dark sky, and glints of fireworks can be seen in every direction from time to time. But what is the meaning of this night, which is celebrated up and down the land of Great Britain? The story really begins in the Dark Ages of around 500 AD to 1500 AD. Britain was dominated by the Catholic Church, which was obsessed with the protection of its authority. One of the things it saw as a threat to its authority was the Bible. During most of this period, there was only one Bible compilation and translation readily available. It was called the Vulgate. The Vulgate was a Latin translation of the Bible. Only the educated priests could read Latin, and so the Word of God was not accessible to the everyday man on the street. In 1382, a teacher at Oxford University called John Wycliffe translated the Vulgate into English. Wycliffe was a keen advocate of scripture and not the papacy being the authority to the truth about God. Wycliffe's translation was later banned by the church along with all of Wycliffe's writings in an attempt some years later to protect its power. After Wycliffe had died, the church decreed him a heretic his corpse was exhumed and burned, and the ashes cast into the River Swift, which flows through his hometown of Lutterworth. This was not the first time the church had acted with such aggression to those who wished for common people to read the Bible. In 1224, Pope Gregory IX sanctioned legislation to put heretics to death. In 1229, a few years later, at the Council of Toulouse, the church issued this decree, quote, We prohibit also the permitting of the laity to have the books of the Old or New Testament, but we strongly forbid them to have the above-mentioned books in the vulgar tongue, end quote. A few years later after this, in 1234, another church council, the Council of Taranga, decreed, quote, no one may possess the books of the Old and New Testaments in the Romance language, and if anyone possesses them, he must turn them over to the local bishop within eight days after promulgation of this decree, so that they may be burned, end quote. During this time, then, if you were discovered to own a Bible in any language other than Latin, you would have been considered a heretic and attracted the condemnation of the church and the death penalty. In 1559, Pope Pius IV placed the Bible on the church's list of forbidden books. Even up until the 1800s, this was still a strategy of the church. In 1824, in the encyclical Ubi Premium of Pope Leo XII, we find these words, quote, We to exhort you to try every means of keeping your flock from those deadly pastures, convince them that to allow holy Bibles in the ordinary language, wholesale and without distinction, would on account of human rashness cause more harm than good, end quote. 
It was in the 1500s that a chain of events unfolded which would begin the steady decline of papal authority in England. In 1440, the printing press was invented, allowing for documents to be replicated swiftly. And in 1522, a compilation of original Bible manuscripts was put together by a priest called Erasmus and published. These two events enabled an English scholar by the name of William Tyndale to not only translate the Bible into English, but also to allow this translation to be replicated and distributed around England. This was done at great risk to Tyndale, who was eventually condemned to death by the church. Also around this time, over in Germany, a priest by the name of Martin Luther had become disillusioned by the authority of the church. In 1517, he published his famous 95 Thesis, which protested against clerical abuses and corruption. In 1534, over in Germany, he published a German translation of the Bible. As well as this, the British monarch Henry VIII had become sick of the Pope interfering in his affairs and had separated the English church from the Church of Rome. All of these events began what is now known as the Protestant Reformation. And at the heart of this Reformation was the rejection of the Catholic Church and a focus on the Bible as the only source of authority. In 1539, King Henry, now on his own as leader of the Church of England, commissioned a man called Miles Coverdale to produce an English translation from the Latin Vulgate, and this was known as the Great Bible. Unfortunately, this translation had many errors within it and was not very accessible for lay people. Later, after Henry VIII, other Bible translations also emerged in Protestant England. During the time of the Catholic Queen Mary I, known as Bloody Mary due to her destruction of Protestants, many Protestants fled to Geneva in Switzerland, where they produced the Geneva Bible in 1560. This had extensive notes which criticised the clergy and doctrines like the divine right of kings. It was used by those that became known as Puritans. During the reign of Elizabeth I, a Protestant queen, a Bible known as the Bishop's Bible was commissioned so that the Church of England clergy had a Bible to use, but there were many mistakes in translation. When King James I came to the throne, the country was divided. The Puritans were championing the Geneva Bible, but the Church of England clergy were championing the Bishop's Bible. Differences in theology and approach were everywhere. In 1604, at Hampton Court Palace, James sought to unite both parties by commissioning a new translation of the Bible, which they would all find acceptable. It was to be a scholarly work, and one which has stood the test of time. This translation became known as the Authorised Translation, or the King James Version. All of this worried and concerned the Catholic community still living in England and abroad. So much so that a plot to remove King James from the throne was hatched by a man called Robert Catesby. In 1604, Around the time that King James had met to commission the translation of the Bible, 
Cattersby met with James Wright, Thomas Percy and Guy Fawkes and shared his idea of a plot to to kill the king. These men were all Catholic supporters and were seeking a rebellion against the Protestant king. The plan was to use gunpowder to blow up Parliament as it opened, killing the king, his family and much of the Protestant aristocracy of England. This would stop the Bible being translated into English and also mean that a Catholic could be put on the throne. In December of 1604, they bought a house next to Parliament. They apparently tried digging underground towards Parliament, but this was too slow. In March 1605, the tenancy of a cellar under Parliament became vacant, and the conspirators purchased this, making out it was a wood store. They moved in gunpowder and covered it with firewood. By this time, 13 people were now involved in the plot. It is unknown who, but one of the conspirators was very concerned about a Catholic sympathiser, Lord Monteagle, being present in Parliament at the time when it was to open on November the 5th. So on October the 26th, 1605, a letter was sent to this Catholic sympathiser, Lord Monteagle. This is what it said, quote, My Lord, out of the love I bear to some of your friends, I have a care of your preservation. Therefore, I would advise you, as you tender your life, to devise some escape, to shift your attendance at this Parliament, for God and man have concurred to punish the wickedness of this time, and think not slightly of this advertisement, but retire yourself into your country where you may espy of the event in safety. For though there be no appearance of any stir yet, I say, they shall receive a terrible blow this Parliament, and yet they shall not see who hurts them. This council is not to be condemned, because it may do you good and can do you no harm, for the danger is past as soon as you have burned the letter, and I hope God will give you the grace to make good use of it, to whose holy protection I commend you. Unfortunately for the plotters, Lord Montague did not burn the letter. Instead, he took the letter to the authorities and to the king. This led to a thorough investigation of the buildings the night before Parliament was to open, and the discovery of Guy Fawkes, one of the conspirators being found in the cellar with matches alongside 30 barrels of gunpowder that were to be used to kill the king and blow up the Parliament. The plot was discovered and the conspiracy exposed. So since those times, on November the 5th, the failed Catholic plot to overthrow the Protestant King James is still marked by a culture now completely detached from the original meaning of the event. The following poem has been handed down through time, elements of which are still reiterated even today. It sums up how the Protestants felt about the events that unfolded on that fateful day in 1605. Remember, remember the 5th of November, the gunpowder treason and plot. I know of no reason why the gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. Guy Fawkes and his companions 
did the scheme contrive to blow the king and parliament all up alive. Three score barrels laid below to prove old England's overthrow. But by God's providence, him they catch with a dark lantern lighting a match, a stick and a stake for King James' sake. If you won't give me one, I'll take two, the better for me and the worse for you. A rope, a rope to hang the Pope, a pennyworth of cheese to choke him, a pint of beer to wash it down, and a jolly good fire to burn him. Hola, boys, hola, boys, make the bells ring. Hola, boys, hola, boys, God save the king. Hip, hip, hooray. Now, we obviously do not condone the violence shown by the Protestants at that time, nor do we believe that they went far enough in their reformation to rid themselves of man-made doctrines, superstitions and traditions. However, the implications of the rescuing of King James all those years ago did have a profound impact on the history of the world in relation to the Bible, for which we should all be profoundly thankful to God for. In 1611, six years after the gunpowder plot, the King James Version of the Bible was completed, and it had a huge impact. It led to a knowledge of the Bible and a common Protestant culture being spread throughout the British Empire. During the latter 18th and early 19th centuries, it enabled an affinity to be developed between Britain and the Jews, which led to British support for Zionism and a homeland for the Jews in Israel. From a Christadelphian perspective, the translation of the Bible into English allowed for the scriptures to be accessible to a doctor called John Thomas, who rediscovered the truth using only the authority of the Bible. It led to the community growing based on access to the word of God in the common language. In 1884, Christadelphian Robert Roberts published a book called Christendom Astray from the Bible, Commenting on the Reformation, he had this to say, quote, Though it was a glorious reformation in the sense of liberating the human intellect from priestly thraldom and establishing individual liberty in the discussion and discernment of religious truth, it was a very partial reformation so far as doctrine rectification was concerned, end quote. The King James 1611 translation then although not allowing the majority of those claiming to be Christian to discover the truth, has allowed men and women to unshackle themselves from apostate corruption of God's message. And it has allowed a few, here and there, to return to the truth of the gospel. It has exposed the doctrines of the church for what they really are, based on human pride and motivated by human power, disguised under the cloak of being Christ-like. As we read through the prophet Isaiah, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Isaiah 8 verse 20. So that is the story of the meaning of bonfire night. For most though, the fireworks introduced to represent the explosives that were never used by the plotters are now just pretty sparkles let off with a bang. The bonfires upon which effigies of the Pope and the conspirators were once placed, have now become a simple token of warmth and merriment. 
The real and true meaning of the events of November the 5th are mostly now lost on a self-obsessed and godless generation. However, this will soon change. We know that Jesus Christ will return to the earth, an event which will happen soon as current events reported recently in the Bible in the news has surely shown. When that day is finally here, we know that Christ will set up God's kingdom on the earth and reign from Jerusalem. We are told in Psalm 72 that the kings of Tarshish and of the Isles shall bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Dedan shall offer gifts. Yea, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. Psalm 72 verses 10 to 11. In Isaiah, we are told that in that day, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The time when the nation of Britain, therefore, will be educated to understand the truth of God's plan and purpose under the rulership of Jesus will soon become a reality. At the end of Psalm 72, the psalm concludes, Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only doeth wondrous things, and blessed be his glorious name forever, and let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and Amen. This has been Matt Davies joining you for another Bible in the News. Join us again next week, God willing. And remember, remember, the 5th of November, the gunpowder treason and plot. I know of no reason why the gunpowder treason should ever be forgot.